I'm so glad I live in a world where there are Octobers. L.M. Montgomery Everybody and welcome back to this week's spooky edition to the America of America podcast. As always, I'm Will Milam, or as I changed my Twitter handle to Will of the Wisp, which is a story that we will get to in this podcast. So I'm excited to get started. And uh, with that, let's get going. Before we start any stories today, I just want to uh, reflect on how awesome it has been to start fall, um, fall, autumn. All of that is just wonderful. Had a beautiful, beautiful week of weather here in Oklahoma City, aside from the early morning tornadoes that got me up last Wednesday at five in the morning to go sit in a bathtub on the first story of my house because we do not have a basement here. But other than that, it's been awesome. The running weather has been great in the mornings. Um, it's finally time to put on a jacket. I had to put on a, I had to put on an overcoat or uh, outerwears for the first time this year. Well, since obviously earlier this year. So it's been a lot of fun. Um, Oklahoma football game was wonderful. I'm recording this on Sunday, so went and watched the Sooners play TCU yesterday on Saturday, and the weather was perfect. Uh, started the game high 60s, ended the game in the low 50s or mid 50s, something like that. But there was no sweating. Um, great views. It was. It's just been wonderful. So I'm. I'm so blessed to be living this October. I hope that you're enjoying the weather as well. Getting on to the spookier side of things, we're going to start today with the story of the spook light, uh, otherwise known as the Joplin spook light, which is a ghost light spook light located at the border of Oklahoma and Missouri. The phenomena is just like it sounds. You stand from a distance and you look off into the distance in the dark and you see a mysterious light begin to glow from a place that you cannot explain and you do not know what the light consists of, consists of, you do not know how far away it is and you don't know where it's leading you to. Now, what's most interesting about this phenomenon is not so much how freaky it is, but just how long it has been going on and how much it has been observed. A quick background on the spook lights or the concepts of spook lights and ghost lights before we actually get into the spook light, meaning the actual spook light in Oklahoma. So spook light that we're talking about is similar to something that we would call a will-o'-the-wisp, an ignis fatus ghost light, or for more Halloween purposes, a jack-o'-lantern, a friar's lantern, a, hickey a hinky punk, and a hobby lantern. Its most famous name, will-o'-the-wisp, is a combination of will short for William, which is my name, so the proper name Will, and Wisp, which means a bundle of sticks. In German countries, this would be called an ignus fatus, which is a Latin term for giddy or happy flame. Now, 
what's a fun piece of information about the Latin term ignus fatus is that it comes from German folklore, but not necessarily Roman or Latin speaking folklore. This was actually because the Latin was added after the fact um, to give the name credibility. So it's not actually Latin in origin. The German folklorists or those who had seen these spook lights in Germany probably thought that by calling it ignus fatus or giddy flame instead of calling it whatever the German term would be for giddy flame would lend it a, a certain amount of respectability and credibility so people wouldn't think that they were crazy for seeing ghost lights in the sky. To the west of Germany over in the British Isles in that kind of Western European folklore, a lot of times these ghost lights were chalked up to fairies and I'm going to change the spelling of fairy as from the way that we understand it in the United States for saying fairies spelling it F-A-I-R-E-S to saying fairies spelt in the old style F-A-E-R-I-E-S because I'm specifically talking about the Irish, well, the Scots-Irish understanding of fairy. Now, there are other people who believe that these spook lights, well, not spook lights, but fairies, um, because the spook lights are tied to fairies, that they were angels caught between heaven and hell after the war in heaven, so before the creation of matter. Uh, King James, the sixth of Scotland and first of England, compared them to familiars. And a familiar, if you know anything about folklore, is a basically a spirit assistant to a witch that takes on the form of a corporeal creature, so generally something like a cat. Alternatively, fairies might have originated with old pagan folklore, old pagan deities. So um, the old pagan deity that existed before Christianity was just morphed into kind of a nature spirit type thing like a fairy when Christianity took hold in England and Ireland. And lastly, uh, sometimes fairies were thought to be the unworthy dead, so the the dead souls who were not good enough to get into heaven. And this is, the unworthy dead is an interesting trope because we have two famous stories about uh, where ghost lights come from in Ireland and England that play on the idea of the unworthy dead. So the first is story that is where we get the name Will o' the Wisp. And that comes from an English story where you have a guy named Will Smith, not Will Smith as the actor that we know, but Will Smith, meaning William a blacksmith. And William the blacksmith, Will Smith, was denied entrance to heaven because he had lived an unholy life here on earth. And he had bargained with St. Peter to get a second chance to live a good life on earth so he could get into heaven. Will Smith, being a bad dude, fails again and does not secure his entrance into heaven and is therefore condemned to roam the earth for all eternity to warm himself. Now, the devil does not take him into hell, but does grant him one coal which to warm himself as he walks through the earth forever. And that coal is the light that is seen in the ghost light. So that's where the light comes from, which is a burning coal carried by Will Smith, Will O the Wisp, which is where that comes from. The second story is where we get the name Jack-O-Lantern. Jack-O-Lantern is a more involved story and also is a bit more fun because in America, and I assume in Western Europe, though I haven't been to Western Europe for Halloween, we love Jack-O-Lanterns. We carve them every year. We put them on our front porches. But I don't think a lot of people actually know the history or the story of where that term comes from. So the jack-o'-lantern, the story, comes from England where there is a man named Jack. Jack 
is a drunkard. Jack has lived an unworthy life, so Jack is not going to get into heaven. So when it is time for Jack to die, the devil comes to collect his soul. But Jack, though a bad man, is not a dumb man. So Jack convinces the devil to turn into a coin so Jack can buy himself one last drink. If Jack's going to go to hell for eternity, he might as well go there lubricated up. So the devil obliges, and when the devil does so, Jack places the coin, that is, was the devil, in his pocket, but he places the coin next to a crucifix. Now, because the devil as a coin is next to a crucifix, the devil cannot escape. He is ensnared by the power of Christ. So Jack then bargains with the devil that he will let the devil out in exchange for 10 more years of life. The devil, in a bit of a hairy situation, agrees. So Jack lets him out in exchange for 10 years of life. So Jack goes on to live 10 more years and his conduct does not improve. Uh, He is still a drunkard. He does not make amends with the Lord in any way. So the devil returns 10 years hence. And Jack, cunning as always, tricks the devil into climbing a tree and then carves a cross on the bark of the tree which now there is a cross on the bark of the tree and the devil cannot get down. So they come up with a bargain again that Jack will remove the cross from the bark of the tree if the devil will forgive Jack's debt and thereby return Jack's soul. The devil agrees, the cross is taken off, Jack gets his soul back, but later on Jack dies. Now, Jack has his soul back from the devil. The devil does not own Jack's soul, so Jack goes up to heaven. But of course, Jack is a drunkard and an all-around bad dude, so Jack cannot get into heaven. So, what does Jack do? Jack turns around and he goes down to hell. But he is denied a place in hell. Just like, or excuse me, just like our old friend Will O the Wisp. So the devil, as a bit of pity, gives Jack hellfire to light his way throughout the twilight world, which Jack will now have to wander forever. And Jack takes this hellfire and places it in a turnip and illuminates his way as he walks through the world. Now, that's true. The original jack-o'-lanterns were in turnips. If you look at old Halloween uh, regalia from long ago, I really couldn't tell you the exact dates, Jack-o'-lanterns were made from turnips, and slowly and surely in American culture, the turnips turned into pumpkins. So when you see a pumpkin carved with lights in the center of it to illuminate the face on the pumpkin, just know that originally that light is the hellfire that the jack-o'-lantern carries around as he walks through the twilight world for eternity. The moral of the story, you can't get the upper hand on the devil. Do not try. Don't do it. It's a bad idea. So now that we know what ghost lights are, we can turn back to the spook light, specifically the light on the Oklahoma-Missouri border. So the spook light sightings began, well, there's a lot of debate as to when the spook light first showed up. The first known reported sighting of the spook light was in 1881, so long before the invention of cars, long before headlights, long before, well, I guess trains were around, but, you know, uh, generally train lights would move because trains are a locomotive on a track. Circumstantial evidence does suggest that there might have been earlier instances of seeing the spook light, but we do know that there was a sighting in 1881. 
So there were some sightings sporadically over the next 50 years, so much so that in 1946, the Army Corps of Engineers studied the spook light and didn't come to any actual conclusions. Now, by the 1960s, the spook light had become a tourist attraction, and to this day, the locals do know the good spots where you're supposed to go see the spook light. There have been many instances of trying to explain the spook light away, whether it's a weather phenomenon or car headlights, which I think are interesting, but also if you remember the spook light was seen way, way before the advent of cars. So that would be a difficult way to explain away the spook light, but it remains. I know a lot of people still go up to see it and it's something that you, I think, can regularly see. Perhaps it is weather phenomenon, perhaps it is uh, light from a vehicle of some sort, perhaps it is Will-o'-the-Wisp carrying his coal around to keep him warm through the cold, cold world. Though I will say that the Oklahoma-Missouri border through many months of the year is not very cold. Same with our good friend Jack O'Lantern. So if you're in northeastern Oklahoma City in October and you want to go see a real ghost light, I would recommend the Joplin Spook Light. Moving on from Spook Lights, we're going to talk about next the Sacred Heart Mission in St. Gregory's Abbey in Sacred Heart, Oklahoma and Shawnee, Oklahoma, respectively. Now, you will remember a couple of weeks ago that I talked about St. Gregory's Abbey when I talked about the monks who moved into Shawnee when I was talking about the stealing of the state capitol, because if you remember, Shawnee actually came in third for voting to be the Oklahoma state capital. Now we're going to talk about that mission in that monastery in the context of ghost stories. So where Sacred Heart, Oklahoma sits today in eastern Oklahoma in the 1870s was where the citizen Potawatomi, a part of the, the citizen Potawatomi nation, so a specific sect of the Potawatomi peoples, uh, settled in this area of eastern Oklahoma after they were removed to Indian Territory. And many of the Potawatomi were practicing Catholics, but there had been no priest available to them there to administer the sacraments. So there was a guy named Father Isidore Robot. It's spelled like robot. I know it's French. I don't know how to pronounce this. If there are any French speakers or French linguists, please email me to give me the correct pronunciation. Even though I'm probably never going to say his name again, I just want to be able to know. So, but Father Rabot was a French Benedictine who went and set up a Catholic mission amongst the citizen Potawatomi, and this became known as the Sacred Heart Mission. And this complex was, at the time, and considering you know it was out in Podunk, Oklahoma, a fairly large operation. Uh, after a couple of years, there was a school a monastery, a convent, and a church for the community. And apparently this was pretty up and going. There were uh, there was industry, there was bakeries. Uh, so it was a pretty large operation until 1901 when there was a fire that burned most of the buildings and made life there very difficult. Now, thankfully, nobody actually died in that fire. Uh, there were no confirmed deaths, though a lot of the Ghost stories built up around the old Sacred Heart mission are based around people that died in the fire, though we don't actually know if anybody died in that fire. Eventually, this was, well, not eventually, this was the uh, downfall of the monastery, uh, or the monastery and the convent and the school. 
the monks would move to Shawnee and build St. Gregory's Abbey, and the nuns would actually move to Oklahoma City and start the convent, which would eventually become Mount St. Mary's, which is on Mount St. Mary's is a high school on the south side of Oklahoma City, and they are housed in a very, very gorgeous uh, collegiate gothic-looking building in the Capitol Hill neighborhood. So in that context, hauntings at the Sacred Heart Mission make sense. It's an old Catholic monastery convent, which I think inspired scary stories to begin with, that is also abandoned and was at one point burned down by a fire. So though there weren't any confirmed deaths, the kind of eerie feeling is pretty clearly attached to the place. And that's why many ghost hunters, modern ghost hunters in Oklahoma today, claim to get electronic voice phenomenon uh, from the Sacred Heart Mission. Uh, people claim to see ghosts in the graveyard. There is even an urban legend about a woman in the graveyard whose grave is inscribed with the words murdered by human wolves. And according to the newspaper accounts, this woman was actually the victim of a botched abortion. Um, which caused her untimely death. But it is a hot spot for activity. It is a hot spot for ghost hunters. Uh, Jeff Provine and Tanya McCoy in their book do go to point out that a lot of the ghost hunting is done illegally. It is private land and there are tours available. So if you're thinking about visiting it, please, please do it the right way and make a booking in advance. However, though the Sacred Heart mission was vacated, the stories do not stop because, as you remember, the monks moved to Shawnee and began St. Gregory's Abbey. To tell you the story of the most famous ghost from St. Gregory's Abbey, I'm actually going to read directly from Haunted Shawnee, Oklahoma by Tanya McCoy and Jeff Provine because I think that this paragraph nicely sums it up and I couldn't do a better job. So here it goes. With decades of vibrant history, the campus has gained several rumored specters and none is more famous than the Lady in White. Said to be the spirit of a student who took her own life after a bad breakup, the ghost is a classic mournful spirit. She is said to have appeared in several of the dorms, not only ones where she lived, and she has been seen wandering around the campus as if she was lost. Doors have slammed on their own, and footsteps of heeled shoes have been heard ringing down halls at night. Several students have claimed that they heard crying and even a young woman's voice, but they could never find anyone that the sounds belonged to. Others have claimed that they claimed that they saw her, a white, thin figure of a college girl who wept as she walked. So, of course, if you're walking down St. Gregory's Abbey or if you're walking through the halls of St. Gregory's University, which is now an extension of Oklahoma Baptist University, if I'm not mistaken, and you see a woman in white crying, get a photo. That would be cool. Actually, wait, no, because if it's a real person who's just a woman crying in a college dormitory, actually, don't take a photo of that. That would be very inappropriate. I don't know what to do. Use your head. The other famous ghost of St. Gregory's University and Abbey was a monk named Brother William. Brother William was famous because he was an English professor at the university, and after he died, his soul decided to stay around. And the stories around Brother William... Uh, center around the university library where students will be staying up late at night studying and they will see a monk wandering around the library happily and some will even stop to talk to him before they see him vanish and some have even gone as far to ask him about 
things that they're hung up on regarding classes. And, and Brother William will answer their questions cheerfully and Brother William will help them study. And then when they look around to see Brother William again, he is gone only to be found that not only can they not find him, but they won't be able to find him because he's dead. Um, we get Brother William, uh, his identification, because there were a couple strings of incidents with this specific ghost monk that the students had seen. And when they went to the university administrators, specifically the monks of St. Gregory's Abbey, and described the monk that they were seeing, they identified him as Brother William, the former English professor who had been dead for several years, but apparently death did not stop him from doing his job. I, for one, really, really, really wish that I had Brother William when I was in high school, but we didn't have monks at Bishop McGinnis. What a tragedy. Our last story from for today comes from Oklahoma City, specifically an uh, older home on the eastern parts of Oklahoma City, right outside of city limits that has stood mirroring the city for nearly 100 years now. And there lived a young boy who around 15 or 16 years ago, being 12 years old, and it being Halloween time, that middle part of October where the weather starts to get better and all the fun ghost documentaries start showing up on the History Channel was elated. So this kid was sitting in his bedroom uh, watching a ghost documentary on the History Channel, talking to his aunt on the phone. Can't remember what the conversation was specifically about, but it was probably something to do with the weather or the ghosts or the aliens or whatever was on the History Channel at this point. Because I can't remember the time where the History Channel actually had history on there because ever since I've been alive, it's always been ancient aliens and stuff like that, which may not be history, but it is a lot of fun. So the specific, um, the specific documentary was to do with demons and the Christianity's understandings of demons and possession and how exorcism works. And there, though the kid sitting there was focused on the conversation with his aunt, he was, of course, in the background listening to what was going on in the television and could remember a specific line where the documentary said that sometimes demons don't necessarily possess people, but they will make their presence known to be annoying or to show a sense of power. And at the second the kid heard that, the crucifix above his head that hangs above, that hangs above his bed was holding a couple palm branches. Now, in Roman Catholicism, after Palm between Palm Sunday and Ash Wednesday of the next year, you generally take the palm branches that you get at Palm Sunday, which are symbolize the palm branches that were laid down at the feet of Christ when he rode into Jerusalem while riding an ass uh, in Holy Week. So you take those palm branches, you put them behind, you hang them up behind your uh, your crucifixes in your home. Now, right when he heard that the demons sometimes do not affect you personally, but they can affect your surroundings, all the palm branches that hung behind his crucifix fell and hit him straight in the head right after hearing those words. Now, that kid was up in a jiffy and basically ran out of his house, scared, scared stiff. And I know that story very well because I was that kid. And that is my own little personal uh, ghost story. Well, not ghost story, but uh, maybe encounter with a paranormal. Obviously, it could be possible that those, those palm branches just fell. But I was like 11 years old and I thought it was terrifying. And uh, 
But it, it was interesting because I've never had palm branches fall before. I've never had palm branches fall since. And it was, if that was a coincidence, it was one of the most incredible coincidence, uh, coincidences I've ever heard of. But I guess uh, the moral of that story is do not mess with the unknown because the unknown is unknown for a reason and it could turn out to be way more horrifying than we could ever imagine. But we're going to mess with the unknown a little bit for a couple more weeks because we are in October and we are counting down to Halloween. And with that, I hope everybody enjoyed this episode and we'll be back next week to talk about more haunts and frights. And I promise we will get to talk about the Scriven Hotel. I want to actually stay at night at the Scriven Hotel on the 10th story to relate my experiences. And I didn't get to do that this week, which is why I didn't talk about the Scriven Hotel this week. But I promise we will at some point before October is out. So with that, I'm Will Milam. This is the America of America podcast. I'm so glad you're listening. I hope you continue to listen. And I'll see you next week. Thanks.